On the Record with White House correspondent April Ryan. I'm April Ryan. On today's show, Hillary Clinton is talking about her new book and this administration. She is on fire. This is On the Record. Hello, Secretary Clinton. How are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm all right. I'm on my my book tour, my... uh... Uh, ongoing book tour. I'm in Austin, Texas right now. Before we start talking about this book, where you tell it all from what happened uh, a few months ago, um, are you okay? How is your foot? We understand you have a boot. You've been on the tour with a boot. Are you okay? <laughs> I am okay. I have been. I, I um, fractured my right foot about five and a half weeks ago when I was in London on my book tour. And I've been in a boot ever since, but uh, another week or two and I'll be out and I'll be fine. Uh, it's, been, it's been a little uh, exhausting lugging around the boot, but I know, that I'm seems sure. to be the only problem I've had. So I had to find out what happened to your foot for you to have the boot. Now we're going to find out what happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, Secretary Clinton, what happened? What actually happened in your words? I mean, looking back, reflecting, um, after this non-traditional campaign where the goalposts have moved. What happened? No, April, I call it a perfect storm in the book because I think it was. Um, I try to describe, uh, you know, my shortcomings uh, and my campaign uh, because this was the first uh, reality TV campaign. He was the first reality TV candidate. And I was the candidate of reality, and I kept thinking that at some point, uh, the fact that uh, what he said made very little sense, uh, the way he behaved uh, clearly indicated that he was unqualified, uh, both by experience and temperament, to to be president, that it would all uh, fit together and there would be a reckoning Uh, as I had seen in other elections, where voters would say, you know, look, he's entertaining. Um, I may even like some of the outrageous stuff he says, but I don't want to trust our nuclear codes to him. That didn't happen, and it was in part because of the uh, the sort of uh, uh, miscommunication or misunderstanding, I think, that I had and my campaign had about you know, what a presidential campaign uh, should look like. Uh, We put together a great campaign. Uh, We were running a campaign based on, you know, responsible policies that we had carefully evaluated so people would know what I would do as president. Uh, But, you know, it was swamped by the press's fascination uh, with Trump and uh, the kind of uh, behavior that he exhibited. And I don't think the press understood how to cover him either. And so in terms of the campaign itself, uh, there was just a a kind of missing connection, uh, which uh, obviously I deeply regret because uh, I I worry uh, greatly every day about what's going to happen. But I think there were some other factors that would have been important, even if I had ended up winning the Oval Office, uh, that need to be addressed because... I write about what happened in part to look toward the future so that it doesn't happen again. I write about sexism and misogyny. It's not just about me. It's about women in politics, and I write a whole chapter about that. I write about voter suppression. It was outrageous and really effective. It had a a demonstrable effect 
on the outcome of the election in several places, most notably Wisconsin. I write about the email controversy because I write a whole chapter about it, April, and lay out all the facts and all of my critics and everybody who made that the biggest issue of the election have not said one word. So if any of your listeners are concerned about uh, the email issue and, and how it was handled, I, I hope that they'll look at that chapter because the answers are there. And finally, the role that Russia and its disinformation campaign played was significant. I think it affected the outcome because it affected the way voters thought about the election and particularly how they thought about me. But more than that, the Russian efforts were aimed at sowing discord and divisiveness among our citizens. And we now know that it looked like there was a lot of communication and coordination between uh, uh, representatives of the Trump campaign and representatives of the Russians and WikiLeaks. And all of that had a very uh, negative effect on how people viewed me and what they believed about me. Even today, I run into people or I read an article where people go, oh, I could never vote for her because she kills people or because uh, she uh, was running a child trafficking ring in a pizza parlor uh, in Washington. Just crazy, outrageous, total lies. But if you're told something often enough, which is the whole idea behind propaganda and behind disinformation, you know, it rubs off. So I, I really try in the book to unpack all of those factors. I take responsibility, ultimately, because my name was on the ballot. But I want to sound the alarm for people uh, because the Russians suffered no consequences. We still see Trump basically covering for Putin, as he recently did in Asia. So they're going to be back, and they're going to be back once again, undermining our democracy and interfering in our elections. So, Secretary Clinton, you, you've given me a lot, and I want to kind of try to unpack it in the short time that we have. One, um, and I'm going to hit this really fast. There were mistakes um, along the way. Um, and, and one of the things um, you kept saying, if someone keeps saying something, people are going to believe it. Do you believe that it was... Um, a missed opportunity for you to come out strongly and, and knock him down every time he kept saying crooked Hillary or things that were not true. Do you think you missed an opportunity? April, I do. Uh, I mean, we did a lot of that, and we, of course, had a lot of surrogates. I'll tell you, though, here was my dilemma, and it's not an excuse. I just want to explain it for your listeners. We had the worst time trying to get the press to cover a lot of what we knew about uh, Trump. I did events about his bankruptcies. I did a lot of events and talked a lot about uh, the, you know, real fraudulent practices of Trump University, about his real estate deals. Uh, talked a lot about the way he treated women and had a, a number of women, uh, like the former Miss Universe, uh, <clears throat> stand up and talk about it. Um, I tried to draw attention to his close association with white supremacists. And, of course, starting in the summer, I and my campaign tried really hard to get people to focus on the Russian angle. So I'm sure there might very well have been ways that we could have done a better job uh, in breaking through. But I also had the constant uh, experience of saying things, putting proof out there, responding, and basically none of it mattered uh, to the press coverage because... 
he was driving uh, ratings and profits. He was entertaining the way a train wreck is entertaining. You never know what he's going to do next, and people couldn't keep their eyes off of him. Um, so I take responsibility for missed opportunities, but I think the press also needs to do some soul, soul searching about what they didn't cover. You're listening to On the Record with April Ryan. We're talking with Hillary Clinton about her book and so much more. Now, um, a reckoning. You said that you were expecting a reckoning on the campaign trail. Do you believe right now that there could be a reckoning when it comes to this president? And you, you just alluded to it about issues of, of Miss Universe. I mean, he's got... Uh, uh, a number of people who are making claims against uh, President Trump in the midst of all of this, you know, from Harvey Weinstein to everyone. We're hearing so much about so many um, alleged sexual assaults. Do you believe that there will be a reckoning now for this president as it relates to this, particularly when he his silence is deafening on Roy Moore? You know, there were so many things there should have been a reckoning on uh, in terms of his behavior and his his rhetoric. Uh, the specific issue you raise is one that is in the news about everybody, uh, but he, once again, seems to be somewhat immune uh, from the impact of what is a very credible set of uh, accusations by women who were brave enough to come forward and tell their stories. And, and so it really depends, again, on the press, because the Republicans are not going to investigate him, obviously. Uh, so unless the press keeps this front and center uh, about uh, what has come uh, to be seen as credible uh, uh, accusations, I, I think he will continue to uh, avoid accountability. And look, I worry about everything from his past because it tells you how he behaves in the present and will in the future. This is a man who is profiting off the White House. A man who has put his family's economic and financial interests above anything else. A man who said he would never cut Medicare and Medicaid, who is going along with a Republican Congress that is going to uh, decimate Medicare, Medicaid, uh, disability insurance, has already refused to reauthorize the CHIP program. So the reckoning is not only about him as a person, but about him as a leader, because he is doing great damage to our country, and he's going to hurt tens of millions of people. Also, he can reward himself and reward uh, those who are like him, uh, the, you know, the billionaires who want to basically uh, rob the poor and the middle class uh, to add to uh, their fortunes. So the reckoning should be broad and deep, uh, but uh, unless we win in 2018, I, I don't see it happening. Hmm. And the last two questions for you. You brought up Russia, and Russia really played a major part, stays into the election as relates to people voting for you, as you acknowledge. But now um, they're trying to flip the script on you and your campaign. They're a there are possibilities of an investigation through the Justice Department. What do you say about um, about this dossier, all of this stuff that's going on as it relates to you and your campaign in Russia? I find this a pathetic effort to detract attention uh, from the wrongdoing that is being uncovered between the Trump campaign and Russia. And let's take the, uh, the example that you referenced. Uh, there's a, an issue uh, about something called Uranium One. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been debunked. It's been investigated. Uh, there's nothing to it. This claim that somehow I was responsible for handing off uranium to the Russians. It's laughable, but it appears that the Republicans and uh, this White House and Justice Department uh, may uh, breach the uh, sacred duty of the rule of law and abuse their power. So again, just for your listeners, first, it's important to remember that this Uranium One uh, idea was uh, a project started by Steve Bannon uh, when he was at Breitbart. So it was clearly a right-wing conspiracy hit job. Uh, But he made a deal with the New York Times, and that doesn't get enough attention, April. But the New York Times did by making a deal with Breitbart to promote their crazy laughable, fake uh, charges was a disgrace, and they should be held accountable uh, for getting the story so wrong. Obviously, that has to be, you know, an internal evaluation that they undertake, but, uh, you know, what they did, throwing their lot into uh, common cause with Breitbart, uh, started this whole thing. And so it got a life of its own, and everybody who looked at it said it was nonsense, and remarkably... You know, just this week, uh, a Fox News host uh, called the accusations inaccurate and did a a pretty compelling uh, takedown of the story based on the facts. Uh, Congressman Trey Gowdy, no friend of mine, um, and someone who never misses an opportunity to uh, waste taxpayer dollars on politically motivated investigations, said a special counsel was not warranted. So... What we have here is exactly what it looks like. A political stunt by the Trump administration and his allies in Congress and the Justice Department, maybe, to distract from Russia as the walls continue to close in on them. And I wrote a lot about this in the book. And any of your listeners who is still scratching uh, their heads over the Russia stuff, I have a whole chapter here because um, when I started talking about it, it wasn't that popular to do. People didn't, uh, you know, take me seriously. When I said he was Putin's puppet in the last debate, people kind of said, oh, she's gone too far. But I am focused on making sure we are not distracted because this is a threat to our national security. And we have to make sure that Putin never interferes in our democracy again. So they're going to try to distract and uh, divert attention from what they did and continue to do by giving an open invitation to Putin uh, by trying to go after me. But, uh, you know, it's just another pathetic effort for them to uh, try to avoid uh, being held accountable themselves. Secretary Clinton, you were the woman of peace in the Obama administration. And right now, um, we have several issues going at one time. And on the table, all options are on the table, according to the president, when it comes to North Korea. And for the last 20 years that I've covered the White House, I've known that there was a black hole in intelligence when it comes to Iran and North Korea. Now there's a possibility of something, some type of action against North Korea. The president keeps talking about this. What are your thoughts? You've been on the White House beat now for 20 years, and I really uh, have to tell you that you understand as much as anybody how dangerous uh, the situation we find ourselves in. You cannot substitute tweeting for diplomacy. And what we saw 
on the president's trip to Asia should uh, concern every American. Uh, the president failed all of us, including everyone who voted for him, because he talks a big game on Twitter, but he just turns to mush at the first sign of a welcome dinner or being treated, uh, you know, royally, which he uh, relishes. The Chinese are laughing at us. Uh, Kim Jong-un uh, loves going head-to-head uh, with the, the president. It's kind of, you know, childish behavior versus childish behavior. Our foreign adversaries are playing chess while our president uh, barely plays checkers. He changes his position as the wind blows. Um, so we have one North Korean policy today, uh, but uh, who knows? If Kim Jong-un uh, sent Trump uh you know, a set of golf clubs for Christmas, he'd change his position again. Now, this would be funny if it wasn't so serious. And what we should be doing is a full court press on diplomatic engagement. But that requires actually listening to people who know something about uh, North Korea. And unfortunately, what is happening at the State Department is stripping our government of a lot of expertise. So I don't know who Trump listens to when it comes to North Korea, but I know that he should be uh, committed to having the kind of diplomatic engagement that I started with Iran and that John Kerry carried on during the Obama administration, literally day after day, week after week, trying to pound out agreements to uh, put a lid on their nuclear program, which is what we did with the Iran agreement. We need to be doing that with uh, North Korea because, make no mistake, they pose a threat to us. If they continue to develop their nuclear weapons and they're able to mount a nuclear weapon on an intercontinental ballistic missile, that can reach Hawaii. That may be able to reach the west coast of America. And this man um, who runs uh, that regime is unpredictable. He loves the attention he's getting from Trump. So I worry a lot about um, the failure to have a coherent policy uh, and the uh, very... Uh, reckless way that Trump uh, is proceeding and dealing with really serious national security threats uh, like North Korea. And on a personal note, um, you're a woman, you're a mother of a daughter, and you're a grandmother of a daughter, I mean of a granddaughter. What does the world look like in the next couple of years as you see it? The goalposts have been moved, has been moved when it comes to politics, when it comes to issues of women. What next do you foresee for women in this nation? Oh, it's a great question, April. You know, as I write in my book in a chapter called On Being a Woman in Politics, we know that sexism and misogyny are endemic in our, our country and around the world. We have made progress. I am a, an exhibit of that from the time when I was a little girl to now the kinds of opportunities that uh, women have, the, the extension of rights uh, toward equality that women have uh, gained. So we've made progress. I would be the first to say that. But there has seemed to be something of a backlash. And we elected, uh, you know, a man who bragged about uh, sexually assaulting women. And we've got to recognize the uh, real dilemma that uh, we face if we don't continue uh, to provide equal opportunities for women and do more to help little girls and young women uh, understand uh, what their potential can be. So I spent a lot of time thinking about it, and I spend a lot of time with my granddaughter uh, thinking about it because 
uh, I want to see every every little girl uh, have a chance to fulfill her dreams. And in my concession speech, which I write about painfully in the book, because uh, I never expected to give one, I wanted to address little girls and to tell them that their voices mattered, that they were powerful, that they should follow their dreams. And it's been so, um, it's been so rewarding out on the book tour. I go to book signings and little girls come and they wear little pantsuits or they wear Wonder Woman <laughs> costumes or they tell me they're going to run for president. And I want to see more of that. And I want the parents and grandparents and teachers and others to support our little girls and our little boys. But to do it recognizing that each child should have the chance to live up to his or her God-given potential. That's what we should be focused on. Secretary Clinton, if not you, then who? Who's on the horizon to fill your shoes, to, to move it to that level and beyond to, to, to capture the Oval Office, not just the popular vote, but the Electoral College as well? Oh, I think we've got a, a really great group of uh, elected women. And what I'm excited about, April, is that even more women are running. We've had you know, in Virginia recently, uh, great results from first-time women candidates. So we have some uh, excellent uh, women who are serving in Congress in both the House and the Senate. Uh, we have some, uh, not enough, uh, serving as governors. We, we really do have a lot of impressive, capable women. And I don't know who's going to run in 2020. I don't want to get out ahead of that and name names. And also, I want to focus on 2018. I want to elect a lot of Democrats and a lot of women Democrats in 2018. Uh, but I am confident and optimistic that there will be women willing to step into that arena and take the, you know, the, the slings and arrows that come their way because they believe uh, in uh, the kind of America that I believe in and that I want to see for my grandchildren. And they'll be willing to walk the walk and talk the talk and get out there and stand up for our best values and our best selves. And I sure hope that I'm going to see a woman uh, president uh, in my lifetime, and I'll do everything I can to help that uh, happen. When you look at what happened, what's the biggest takeaway of these last few years leading up to the election night? I think we have weakened our body politic over the course of a number of years by the growing influence of uh, right-wing forces, billionaires who pumped uh, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars into uh, winning elections. You know, I was the first candidate to run with the uh, Voting Rights Act uh, that uh, had been gutted, uh, no longer effective. Uh, so I had Citizens United and I had the failure to protect the vote uh, plus, we have too many in the media on the right and too many uh, outside voices as well on the right who make all kinds of crazy claims trying to confuse people about what's true and what's not true, really blurring the line between fact and fiction. So I think in some ways, as I said at the very beginning, it was a perfect storm. And Donald Trump was you know, clever enough to understand that somebody who walked into uh, that storm, who was willing to say outrageous things, do outrageous things, who confused not being politically correct with being authentic and truthful, 
you know, it really did uh, kind of come together at a time with all these different forces uh, where somebody like him could be elected. Now, I'm hoping because of the clear uh, failures of his administration and his uh, lack of uh, the temperament needed to be president, people are going to understand we don't want to take those risks again and that more uh, thoughtful, reasonable, uh, truthful people will be elected. So that's what I have to hope for, and that certainly is what I'm going to work for. I've got a new organization called Onward Together, and we're supporting a lot of these grassroots groups that have sprung up, and they're helping to recruit candidates and train candidates and, you know, talk about civic engagement and talk about issues. And I'm going to do that all through 2018 because I think if we can turn the tide and break the fever, uh, we can get back to having uh, people in public office who will actually represent the people that sent them there and not their donors and not the billionaires who are trying to manipulate uh, our American system for their personal advantage. Hmm. So you're not going to leave the landscape. You're going to stay involved, stay active. Absolutely. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be right in the middle of the debate about uh, what happens next in America. And speaking of the debate, a current debate right now, what should happen next, particularly in Alabama? What do you think about Roy Moore? Oh, I think there were so many reasons why voters should be very cautious and, and reluctant to send somebody like him to the United States Senate to represent uh, the state of Alabama. It's a long list of his uh, behaviors and beliefs. And I'm going to leave the decision to the people of Alabama, but Alabama deserves better. And uh, I think they have a choice that would uh, you know, serve with distinction and be respected and really help the people of Alabama, which is what it should be all about. Secretary Clinton, I want to take a point of personal privilege and say thank you for supporting me at a time that I didn't even know that you knew what was going on. At the beginning of this administration, I was told to stop shaking my head. And on one of the worst days that night, I came home. Someone said, did you see what Hillary Clinton said? I said, what? What are you talking about? And you stood up for me and Maxine Waters. And at this moment, I want to take a point of personal privilege to publicly say thank you. You were my Wonder Woman that night. Well, April, I had the great advantage of knowing you, of watching you in action, of seeing your professionalism uh, firsthand. I saw you conduct tough interviews uh, on presidents and first ladies and members of administrations going back more than 20 years. And I, I know the quality of your journalism. And uh, I just thought what was being done to you and said about you was way out of line, absolutely wrong. And, you know, I, I just wanted to express, uh, you know, my support of and my confidence in you. Um, as a first-class journalist and a really good person. So uh, you don't need to thank me. I, I, I felt compelled to speak out because uh, we can't let uh, the bullies have the last word. That's true. That's true. But, again, I know you sit in a very high and lofty perch, in a unique perch, but people need to say thank you nonetheless and I thank you for what you did for me and I look forward to more interviews and hearing about your organization and, and reporting more with you and talking with you uh, Secretary Clinton it's an honor 
Um, what happened is a bestseller and thank you for letting us know what you feel about what happened and we want to know what's happening more uh, in the future so please feel free to give us a call anytime. I will April and I really enjoy talking with you as always. Thank you Secretary Clinton it's always a pleasure to talk with you about your book and so much more. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to her in the future. I'm April Ryan with On the Record. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks.